Welcome to WLNM, the web novel and manga review hosted by Zeke Changuris. Welcome to WLNM, the web light novel and manga review. We are dedicated to bringing our listeners the very special artists, creators, writers, and industry professionals that are a part of this amazing thing we call writing. We'd like to welcome uh, Scott Sinclair, the author of Cat Girl in the Pantry. Uh, welcome to the show, Scott. Hi, thank you. It's good to be here. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let me, this is the, the blurb that uh, is on, uh, explains your book. Um, it says that when Gavin finds that a cat girl from another world mysteriously appears in his pantry, he decides against all logic to let her live in his room. But it's not easy to keep a curious, free-spirited cat, a cat girl, a secret. Well, I'm going to stop, stop right there. Um, keeping a cat under control under any circumstances <laughs> is nearly impossible. Um, mm -hmm. as, a, as someone who owned a cat for almost 20 years, uh, yeah, uh, they don't, you don't own them, they own you. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell me about this um, lack of a better term, fish out of water uh, story of our cat girl popping into uh, a gentleman's pantry. Is it a big pantry? I mean, is there a lot of space in there or is this one of those? It's a walk-in pantry and okay. space to like stand up or sit down or something. But okay. no, basically what it was is that I had noticed that there was a trope in this genre in which you have a girl or generally like fantasy cat girl or fox girl or something that just inexplicably appears usually nude in the house of a teenager and then sexual stuff commences if that makes sense oh absolutely uh, and because this trope is so common I wanted to try and take it and sort of play it straighter than a lot of other authors would do. I was trying to think, you know, what would actually happen if something like this took place? You know, what sorts of effects would it have on the teen boy? How would the girl react to it? How would the world react to it? Uh, what sorts of culture conflict would take place? Uh, what sort of culture would cause the girl to be naked in the first place? Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, it was all a desire to try and take this trope, which, I mean, by all accounts, I think it's mostly played out, but to say what would happen if we tried to put it in, I guess you could say, more of a realistic context, uh, instead of just having it be an excuse for sexual farce and uh, etchy tropes, uh, what if there were stronger characters involved in it, people that reacted like people would instead of as the harem tropes demanded. So, um, well, I guess how people would react depends on their level of weepness. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, because, you know, I even remember Elon Musk tweeting about it with CRISPR, one day we can have cat girls. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Elon Musk, uh, ever since he wrote that joking statement on Twitter about genetically modifying cat girls, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, um, so uh, tell me, in this story, I mean, you are playing it straight, and there are some hurdles that you'll have to, to overcome. Um, is, 
do you do do you have to set aside the she's an alien thing like you know i remember watching et i know mm-hmm. what they did to et um or is he going to be does he have to hide her from you know the vivisection uh that's actually one of the things that I got a lot of uh, heat from when I did my trial run of this book on Royal Road is that if you think about it, our society is really having hammered into it uh, how you need to be open and accepting of people who are different than you. Um, And because of that, like I I think about it, and if there were a girl who had cat ears at, for instance, uh, my school, I think that most of the people would say, oh, that's interesting. I'd better be this person's friend because they probably get picked on. Um, You know, that, yeah, she's an alien, but I mean, cat girls are just girls with some animal features attached. And so I thought that the most realistic reaction wouldn't be everyone call in the government, but more likely just like a local news story or some people saying, wow, that's weird. A lot of incredulous looks and a lot of polite not looking at things. Um, The exception is because she's an alien, she doesn't have any of the standard registration, like she doesn't have a social security number, she doesn't have a driver's license and can't get one, she is essentially off the grid. And She's an illegal immigrant. Yeah, basically. (laughs) And so, and and that's one of the things that's like, you know, can we get you documented as like a a refugee or something, like make up some sort of backstory for you. Um, And that actually ends up being a much bigger deal than her uh, animal features is the fact that she just does not exist on any system. And how do you incorporate somebody like that into society? Hey, and and I understand and I respect the idea that, you know, we are more accepting and open society at this point. Um, I had have a girl in one of my classes. Um, I'd say she's almost six foot tall. But yesterday she she went full goth Lolita uh-huh. in school. And it was like, OK, you know, that's just how she dresses. She's a quirky girl. Um, and you know, it, it wasn't a big deal about anything. So, yeah. yeah. And my guess is that aside from a few bad eggs who are bad eggs to everyone, like everybody just, you know, politely declined to comment it's outside <laughs> exactly. of normal expected social protocol, but not enough so that you would like call up scientists and say, Hey, something's wrong with this woman. Come and vivisector. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it kind of reminds me of, um, well, no, I think Alf is a little too far afield there. Yeah, I had, uh, I remember one of our, one of our writers uh, at my website, they titled uh, the, one of the articles recently, the existential horror that is, um, that is, uh, uh, what's it called? Cat paradise. Um, Necopara? Yes. The existential oh horror goodness. that is Necopara. And I'm like, I want yeah. to take Nekopara. Uh, yeah, no, like it's slavery. It's, <laughs> it's yes. I'm like, these are sentient. Police stay. Yes. Like, it is. There are so many things. And you're just like, you have to just be like, okay, I'm going to push all of that common sense aside. And just, oh. they're, they're just cute cat girls. 
Oh my God. Yes. I, yeah. You, you have to push it aside. And, and that's sort of one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to break down is that uh, Lila definitely does not act like a stereotypical, I love you master sort of cat girl. Like she, so she acts more like a real cat. Who's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And also as a, a person, like, she she has cat-like habits but but she is her own person and she stands up for herself i i'm not she has sure. agency yeah she has agency and in my mind that's one of the big differences and one of the big draws towards my book is that because my love interest has agency it can be a book about a relationship instead of being a book about a sexual fantasy right and when i was uh younger when i was in high school um i wanted a girlfriend more than I wanted a sexual fantasy. And so when I didn't have one, and so of course I turned to the internet in order to try and fulfill that need, it was just like empty. There, there weren't really relational fantasies on the internet. There was hentai, there was porn, there was erotica, which was typically one shots, you know, you would, you would take right. it and then it would get thrown away. And I, I couldn't find what I was looking for. Like part of the reason why I wrote Cat Girl in the Pantry is because I wanted for there to be something that the teenage Scott would have liked something that they that he would have been able to say this is what I'm looking for I want a book about having a cat girl as a girlfriend instead of as a toy um, and in order to do that you need to have a much more powerful girl you need to have uh, someone who has enough of a personality that you can have deep and interesting conversations and you know do things like talk about boundaries talk about what you want a relationship with them to be like that sort of thing and and that's something that I haven't seen often in this genre which is why I think that I'm bringing something unique to the table when I write about it and well, I have a quick question for yeah. you, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm wondering how you found me and how much of the book you have read. I uh, haven't gotten very far. Um, only a handful of pages in because I also work as an editor for another company and I'm reading like three books at a time. Uh, I found you through Outer Haven. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I found you through Outer Haven. So. Yeah, um, that's a stock Good guy. for those of us uh who aren't familiar uh the outer haven has a policy where if you are a uh light novel writer and you release a book you can write to them and they'll do a press release on it pretty much no questions asked it's sort of like your show it's a way for light novel writers to get additional publicity in a I guess you could say a genre that typically doesn't get a whole lot of publicity. Yeah. And at least he's over here. Going yeah. out of his way to try and help people. Yeah. And I and I appreciate that with uh, Outer Haven. Um, I've worked with uh, a couple of their editors uh, who have are writers themselves. So it's uh it's that's how I found uh, this uh, found Outer Haven, and it's been a great resource to me for finding new material. Cool. Yeah. Hey. Um. So you always a storyteller? Were you always a writer? Were you, did you have ideas in your head um, in elementary school that you just had to get down or did you come yeah, to this later? I've, I've been writing ever since I was very little. I, I think that I first started writing stuff in first grade 
and tried to move on from there. Uh, I, I was always reading above my grade level and I was trying to emulate the stuff that I was reading, which, you know, in some ways uh, scared my teachers. I remember that uh, one of my teachers said, if you have a hard time coming up with what to write, take the first line of your favorite book and then write in a different direction, take the story in a different direction. So uh, I was reading Raymond E. Feist. And so the teacher, you know, paper comes across her desk that starts off, um, Locklear bled like a stuck pig as Owen discarded <laughs> the bloody bandages around him. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> but yeah. No, I, I, I had notebooks that I would write stories in in second grade and fourth grade. And uh, a lot of it, I wasn't really able to make anything of it. I would start stories, but I would never finish them. But uh, I took a class from Brandon Sanderson when I was a senior in college. And he said that one of the problems that aspiring authors make is that they try to practice their craft by writing, but they never finish any stories. And Brandon Sanderson said that endings are hard. And there's a whole crop of aspiring authors out there who are very good good at writing the beginnings of stories because they've done it like a dozen times, but they aren't good at finishing stories because they've never done it before because they've never, they've never finished something. They don't know how to bring a climax together. They don't know how to. I'm so, not feeling attacked in any way. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, but at any rate, so Brandon Sanderson said like, you know, the number one advice that I would give to authors is even if your book is not going well and you feel like it's bogged down in the middle, uh, just finish it anyway. And if you finish the book, then you'll have, you know, one ending under your belt and you can learn from it and move on. And so uh, I was in the middle of writing something else, actually, and uh, it was uh, falling under its own weight. And I made the mistake of publishing it in serial on Royal Road. So there's a lot of stuff that I was like painting myself into a corner because I had, you know, come up with some things about the world that I then couldn't go back and retcon because it was being published in serial. And I just said, okay, you know what? I want to write something, but I'm not going to do another one of these things where I start a book and then never finish it. I am not going to let myself write something else until I have an outline from start to finish so that instead of just discovering where it takes me, which is inevitably nowhere, I, I know where I'm going and can write towards that direction. And that's when the plot of Cat Girl in the Pantry came out in like about one page of graph paper and a note book somewhere and I just began writing and uh, it was weird how this book more than any other book sort of carried itself through and I discovered more about the characters while writing it and I discovered more about the world and there was still plenty of discovery in the process but that one page of this is the overall plot and this is how the beats are going to hit made it so that I was able to finish something that I never was before. 
and I'd been working in like high fantasy and lit RPG. And, you know, I felt sort of sheepish that the first thing that I did that was actually finished was an etchy rom-com, right? But <laughs> but the, the fact was, is that finishing that book and then going back and editing that book so that there was stuff in the beginning that foreshadowed the stuff at the end and everything was internally consistent, which had never happened in anything I'd written in serial before. It was just such a feeling of power that it made me think, hey, you know, maybe if I can collect enough of these and have enough books out, each individually selling, maybe I could make a run at doing this full time. And that's still the dream. It is the dream for a lot of us, trust me there. Um, though I may, you know, hopefully I get enough fans of this podcast and I could just sell it to some other company. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you talked about, I mean, just we all start, had trouble starting and that, that, or we all could start and we had trouble finishing. And that kind of reminds me of the, uh, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit, mm -hmm. which Tolkien lifted from one of his students. And he then created, you know, one of the most epic high fantasy stories of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, now, yeah, it was a 10-year overnight success. Yes. He had so much world building done before he began his story that... Well, think of his friends. He sat, he, he was sitting down and talking to, um, what's his name? Uh, the Narnia guy. C.S. Lewis, yeah. C.S. Lewis was a friend. I mean, his friends were all like these brilliant writers and they would sit down, you know, have tea or have a drink and smoke and talk about writing yeah uh, that is just one of those like between that group and my favorite group from the jazz age where you had like you know ernest hemingway sitting down talking with fitzgerald mm -hmm. you know the conversations the the raw creativity that was there is just awe-inspiring to me yeah, I, we've got some of those today, too. Like, I mean, of course, him being one of my teachers, I'm most familiar with Brandon Sanderson, but he's got a really high power writing group himself, you know, Brandon Sanderson, Howard Taylor, Brandon Mole, the whole writing excuses podcast like that. That's basically Brandon Sanderson's writing group. And oh, my goodness, there's a lot of power there. Yeah, it, it, it makes many of us very jealous when you, uh, you find someone who has a group of people they can rely on. Like for me, my first reader has always, since I became a grown up, uh, my first reader has always been my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, I write and she reads and she edits and because she understands how my brain thinks. And half the time she's like, you know, I know this is what you wanted to say, but you didn't say it at all. Uh -huh. <laughs> so yeah, it, to, to be able to expand and have a, a larger a group of people who can understand and can bounce ideas off of uh, is is a, a really uh, important thing for writers, especially if they want to grow. Did, yeah, my did, book would not be where it is without my wife. If it did got published, it would have been at a much lower level of quality. Uh, I, I owe a lot to my wife as well. Yeah, I mean, they, they keep us in line, that's for sure. Uh, so you're about to ask? Yeah, well, no, just the... As a, as someone, you, you talked about getting written and writing into a corner when you were on Royal Road. Do you still <laughs> find you have that problem? This is one of those questions I asked every guy, every, everyone who I have on the podcast. 
when do, do I you find, find do you write yourself into a corner? You've already admitted to it, but do you still have trouble with it? Not ever since I started outlining, no. Okay. Oh, I mean, there are always some things that uh, you have to go back and fix. Like in the book, uh, I just finished the second to last draft of it. Um, it gives Monster Girls the same treatment that uh, Cat Girl in the Pantry gave uh, Cat Girls. But I had originally planned it as a three-part series. And so uh, I had an outline for it. But as I started approaching like the 100,000 word mark, I realized that I was going to run out of words and need to end my book before I ran out of what I had planned for the first arc. So I needed to take what was supposed to be, for all intents and purposes, a mid-boss, basically. Okay. And I needed to promote them to being a primary arc that uh, signaled the conclusion and the climax. But of course, when I did that, uh, I had set up a lot of promises like, hey, this is the problem that we're going to go out and solve in this book. And then we solve a completely different book and it just left the ending really not feeling good, if that makes sense. And so I had to go back and I had to rework the first half of the book so that it was pointing towards uh, finishing off this, uh, this arc that was originally a, a sub arc that turned into a main arc. And I mean, you always run into problems like that, but that feels different to me than the feeling of writing yourself into a corner, which is to say, I was trying to make the plot go in this general direction but I didn't have it fleshed out enough. And now we're heading in the wrong direction. And I don't know how to get to point B from point A. It's that that I, I know where I am and I know where I need to be, but I don't know how to get there. I, I haven't had that since I started writing with outlines. Hey, that That's good. So even with the outline, are you more of a discovery writer or are you like strict to the outline? You create this outline and then you fill in the blanks. I am very much a discovery writer. Um, my writing process as I'm like writing scene is I, I come from tabletop role playing uh, as sort of my background. I've done way more tabletop role playing like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder and GURPS than I have writing uh, just because it's a little less pressure, I guess you could say. But when I put a character in a situation, I try to think from that character's point of view and I say, what would this character be doing? And if there's dialogue, then I head hop between the two and it's sort of like I'm role playing with myself as a GM. And of course, Tabletop role-playing is a very uh, collaborative process where, you know, players are adding in all sorts of detail that wasn't there before, and then you as a GM just sort of roll with it and say, uh, yeah, sure, that could be happening. And the scenes sort of put themselves together the same way in my mind. And I find out more about the, the, the characters as I role-play the characters. I find out more about the world as I discover uh, what's important to these characters and therefore what details need to be in the world in order to bounce off the characters. Um, I, I'm definitely a discovery writer. I'm just a discovery writer who needs an outline to keep himself on track or he ends up discovering the wrong places, you know? Okay. Um, so uh, with that discovery writing, um, one of the best things I like about uh, discovery writing process is that you sometimes surprise yourself. Uh, have you found that, uh, that uh, joy in, oh my God, I didn't realize that that was going to happen, even though you've created the entire universe? 
Most definitely, yes. Um, the biggest thing, and I think it was almost career changing, is when I discovered why Lila, the cat girl in Cat Girl in the Pantry, uh, was naked. When, like, originally it was just like, a, okay, you know, let's let's introduce this trope so that we could then explore it and subvert it. But once I realized what about her personality would have caused that, the character went from being flat to being much more 3D in my head. And suddenly I'm like, oh, I get this character. And once I got that character and understood where she was coming from, so much of the dialogue made, well, I was able to make make more sense through uh, rewriting and revision. And so much of the personality and, you know, what personality conflicts would naturally arise out of that, um, it, it, it felt almost magical. But. Yeah, it, 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 it's amazing sometimes the way we surprise ourselves, even though we're we are like the gods of the universe that we're creating. And mm -hmm. then you're just surprised yourself. I, I found myself in tears one morning driving to work as I realized, oh my God, this is what happened to this character. This is their backstory. And it was so tragic and I'm like crying on the way to work, mm -hmm. realizing there is, this is, this is it. And I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to put you through all of this tragedy. But uh, yeah, it's, it's we like to style ourselves as gods of our fictional universes. But the thing is, is that, you know, we're not we're mortals. And because of that, we only have a mortal's capacity to keep the world in our head at a time. Yeah. So because of that, there are so many empty spaces in any world, even the most well-defined worlds, the Stormlight Archives, the War Lord of the Rings, you know, no matter how much world building you do, there's always blank space. And inventing what is in that blank space, even if it comes subconsciously when you're just driving down the road and something pops into your head, to me, that's where the discovery is, is that the, the creative process isn't over. You've never fully taken control of your fledgling universe like a god it has you're always finding out new stuff do do you do uh even now that you're into the more uh using the outlines do you find you're doing fewer drafts or are you you still feel like you need to like write i just spoke to someone the other day who said they do full rewrites like they do a draft and when they do do a second draft, they basically shelve what they just wrote and rewrite from memory because that they're like, then I'm going to cut out that way. They cut out all the stuff that's not important. So for cat girl in the pantry, I probably could have done that. Um, I was originally intending for Cat Girl in the Pantry to be a little more action oriented, but uh, the action has a really slow burn at the start with and doesn't really kick off until halfway through the book. And because of that, Cat Girl in the Pantry has sort of a split personality. It starts off as sort of like, you know, a low intensity slice of life. And then at some point through, and I don't consider this spoilery because it's in the blurb, but at some point an assassin comes in and and it's like, oh my goodness, now what? And so it sort of takes a turn and becomes more uh, action heavy uh, and it becomes more thriller and less slice of life. And because of that, I feel as though there would have been room in Cat Girl in the Pantry for a massive rewrite in order to try and incorporate them slightly better so that you, so that audiences didn't start saying, wait, the genre is flipped halfway through. 
Um, but at that point, I wanted to uh, practice, you know, what it was like to get a book through the self-publishing process, you know, how KDP worked, uh, how advertising worked, things like that. So I said, you know, even though the, there is a chance to make this stronger by sort of blending the genres more cohesively, uh, I, I chose not to. Um, I'm not doing that with the next book. The next book has been through more rewrites than any of the other ones that I've had. And in some ways, that's because it's a more complex book. It required more world building. The characters are deeper. There are more characters. Uh, but it, it's the subject matter is a little trickier to handle. And I think that I'm going to need at least one more of those. And again, I had to rewrite it, as I mentioned the first time, because I needed to change the secondary threat into the primary threat and rebuild the arc around promising that that's the one that will be complete instead of another one that I had been hinting at earlier. Okay. So this one's definitely going to take more drafts. All right. Um, well, as you write, do you find that you favor one kind of scene over another are you do you find you're better at writing a particular uh scene are you dialogue setting action where where do you think is your your strike zone i absolutely love dialogue i love dialogue because i love characters um i my stories are mostly character driven and they come through the interaction between the characters instead of being driven by uh plot or events or like you need to get to mount doom or or a travelogue or a journey or something like that um because of that i try to make the characters as well fleshed out as i can and because of that the dialogue is just a blast to write um, the thing that I have the hardest time writing, and I've heard that this is common for other people as well, is uh, combat sequences. Combat sequences, they need to be fast paced, but on the other hand, combat sequences need to be specific enough that the readers can understand what's going on in them. And that choose through wor your word budget, that you need to keep things fast paced, but you also need to keep them detailed and balancing the two so that it doesn't slow down with description, but it doesn't just say, and then they had a sword fight, you know? Yeah, I, I, I understand because I action is not one of my strong suits. Um, I am a, I'm a very skilled world builder. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I find myself very good at, I'm good at dialogue, but my strongest area is you read, if you read my, what I write, it's very good to read out loud. It's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's written to to be read out loud, or at least that's how I see it when I'm writing it. It's I'm seeing it as a narrative for someone to be, you know, explaining how this is going on. And it's, it's something I'm trying to change up in the different variations of things that I do. But, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of, um, of Aaron Sorkin and uh, I love exposition, <laughs> which is something that you shouldn't do. <laughs> but I love exposition. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, before, let's see, uh, one more thing. Um, is, is there a, is there a, do you think there's a formula to what you need to do or is it just right? I mean, one, some people say just 
sit in front of the computer or they used to say the typewriter and just put one word after another and eventually you'll have you know a paragraph and after that you'll have two paragraphs but is there more of a you need you need to crystallize an idea in all honesty as i've been trying to research it i think that the answer is you just need to write um when i look at the people who are successful in this genre like uh i mean you had him on the show recently brandon varnell with his yeah. what is it 54 books like yeah i mean he you writes need to be prolific and in he a lot is of ways I prolific yes i think that the level of prolificness that you have is more important than other sorts of formulas because if you don't have anything to sell you can't really write um okay. that's one of the things that i've been having a hard time with is that like as i've told you like this one book that i've been writing has gone through more drafts than other stuff and i think that i need a, a two-pronged approach i need to be a better writer so that i can get things done on the first draft like be closer to correct the first time through and i also need to be less perfectionistic so that at some point i could say you know what sure some of my beta readers objected to x scene but they're probably in the minority and i just need to cut it and i need to move on because i feel as though uh, all of the successful writers that I have seen are able to consistently produce four to six books per year. I also need to write shorter books. I've noticed that uh, Cat Girl in the Pantry is like three or four times longer than the standard for the genre. But again, that's because I came from Brandon Sanderson's class. So I'm trained in uh, epic fantasy and not necessarily yes. light novels. Yes, light, light novels. Uh, you should be able to read one in a weekend. Yeah. Which, which is one of the things I really like about them because I can, you know, run through them at a epic pace, at an epic pace, and uh, enjoy lots of different things at the same time. Hey, um, I really want to thank you uh, for making the time to talk to me this afternoon. And uh, just for all of those who might be interested, Cat Girl in the Pantry is available on Amazon. If you are interested in a more relationally focused take on the etchy genre, you're interested in what it would be like to have a relationship with a cat girl instead of just having a sexual fantasy that involves a cat girl, you know, I'd really encourage you to look up cat girl in the pantry and let me know what you think. And uh, I love talking to writers, listening to their stories, listening to them tell me about their stories. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the listeners agree on that one. And I can't say this enough, but I think every story is valid. Every mm -hmm. creator deserves to be heard. Um, and uh, we hope that Everyone else out there uh, would take time to subscribe to WLNM to listen to these creators as we try to continue to highlight the best that the independent creator has to offer. Until next time, keep and reading. This has been a WLNM podcast.